Well, hello again. And in the um, the last podcast I recorded, I spoke um, a little bit about the um, dive that I made to the wreck of the Titanic back in 2001. And um, I, I spoke a little bit about um, uh, what it was like to get on board the ship and um, essentially the launch sequence of the um, the academic Keldish in Mir 1. So I was in Mir 1 and um, then discovering the bow section when we were down there and um, also uh, just a, a word or two about what it was like on that descent. So I'll just sort of pick things up from where I was last time. Um, one thing I'll say is it was pretty <laughs> pretty cold down there. So out the, the external um, sea temperature, the water temperature is about three degrees Celsius. So when we were doing the launch, when we were on deck, I had full length um, underwear on, thermal underwear, and we also had these coveralls, uh, which they gave us for the dive. And um, um, I had thick socks on. As I mentioned, I might have mentioned when we were getting on board, we had to take our shoes off. So that's kind of what we're wearing in there. Well, once we, when we were on board the ship, getting ready to go, it was actually quite warm. And uh, we're all kind of pretty much stripped to the waist um, in there, myself, Anatoly and, and Lyle, the, the guy from Texas. And um, however, once we were launched and going down, it, things did cool off pretty quickly. So um, I was quite thankful for having this sort of thick clothing. Now, what happened as we were down there is that um, obviously two and a half hours going down and then we were on the bottom for six hours and then another two and a half hours going back. That's quite a long amount of time for the submarine to be in that cold water. So as you can imagine, the moisture in our breath began to condense on the metal surfaces. So there were quite a few of those in the in the sub. And certainly towards the end of the uh, the dive, I remember um looking at the portholes so we've got these circular portholes in front of us now there was a large one it was about 12 inches in front of anatoly and then we had seven inches sort of either side of his so on the two benches where we were sitting or lying by the side of anatoly we had our own little porthole these things were actually plastic kind of acrylic wedges because they because of the pressure of the water outside it pushes the portholes inward and my understanding is if they were made of glass, they'd shatter under the pressure. So we're looking through these little wedges, but because they're circular, there's like a, a, a sill that there's, a, you know, they don't come, we're not, um, they're not right up against the inside edge of the uh, the submarine. So in these sills, there'd be water forming. So I, I was actually mopping it up from time to time and there's condensation everywhere. And um, certainly when we were going up, to get back to service, it was dripping on me a bit. So um, it was a bit sort of cold and damp in there. However, down back, back on the bottom of the uh, the uh, Atlantic. So I, I spoke last time about going around the bow section, and we we did the exploration. We drove around and we saw the the anchor. We saw um, some of the divots for the lifeboat. So obviously, knowing they had been used, and one of them was collapsed, uh, we we saw all of that stuff. We saw Captain Smith's. Um, bathroom that was kind of open so you could see his bathtub in there and uh, the photographs from uh, um, Ballard's voyage um, I've seen that photograph as well but yeah I was able to look out of the window and um, and uh, see the uh, see the bathtub there there's nothing really left of the wheelhouse that was torn off so there is a telemotor there which is um how to describe that it's kind of, it's just like a column it's a bit like a kind of vertical steering column that you you were having uh, in um well kind of an older truck or an old steam engine something like that but um anyway vertical column that the wheel was attached to 
And um, of course, all of that stuff's gone. And all that's left of where the wheelhouse stood, the front of the wheelhouse, is um, a, a sort of block that the uh, presumably the superstructure bolted into. So that's all gone. And um, obviously, it was quite um, emotional, I guess, in a way to be at the spot where they were trying to save the ship, where they realised they were in trouble, and um, they were doing their best to save the ship, um, obviously without success. And the other thing that we saw was the um, uh, the mast where the uh, lookouts were located. Now, the crow's nest itself has gone. I think that was taken away during one of the um, uh, salvage um, operations. They took that away. But you can still see the opening. So the, that particular, um, I, I guess you call it a mast, but it's a hollow tube, essentially. And the guys would climb up the inside and there was a hatchway which was open. And that would lead into the crow's nest. And that's where the two lookouts were who um, only saw the iceberg too late. And it was kind of a bizarre, I don't know if you know the story of the, the collision and why, it, how it happened. It was just a, a whole bunch of odd things came together at the same time. So that particular night on the ocean, it was absolutely flat. And um, I, I haven't spent a hell of a lot of time at sea, pardon my language. <laughs> I haven't spent an awful lot of time at sea, but um, I have been out once or twice when it's been flat calm and it's really weird because it's like just being on a lake or on a mill pond. And that was what it was like that particular night. And the pro the, the way that the guys would identify a, an iceberg, particularly where there was, no, I don't, don't believe there's any moon either. So they, they would look for a surf coming off the bottom of the, um, um, the iceberg caused by waves breaking against it. Of course, there's no waves in that situation. And that was why they were so close to the iceberg before they even saw it. And also there was the story about the binoculars, I think, had been locked away. And so they didn't have binoculars up there and all this sort of thing. So it was all a, there was a whole bunch of things went wrong. That's just a, a short part of it. And in fact, it even had more passengers on it than it was intended because there was another um, liner that had um, passengers on. But the Titanic was very undersold on the, on the maiden journey, fortunately. And there was also a coal shortage. So um, rather than sail the two liners, they put the passengers from this other liner onto the Titanic, which um, I guess they were probably regretting. Um, anyway, so we did circle around. Obviously, in a submarine, you're able to circle around and have a good look around the, the ship. And we had a good look around the bow section and then headed off. And I think it's about one and a half, two Ks between the bow section and the stern. Because it broke up at the surface, and you know, it's two and a half miles, so roughly four k's from um, the surface to the ocean floor. Although the the bow section kind of planed straight down, the stern section was a different kettle of fish altogether. Because when the ship broke on the stern section, you've got all these open decks, and there was a lot of air in there. There's boilers. There's all sorts. So as it was going down. It was rotating. All of these decks are tearing apart. There's pockets of air, which as they go deeper, the air is kind of exploding out of the, the ship. It's finding a way out because it's, it's you know, get, get, trying to get out more. Um, some of the boilers were falling out. The engines were essentially falling out of the thing. So you end up with this debris field, which has thousands of artifacts in it, um, which range from some bottles. I saw some bottles down there. Um, plates, there was a door, I saw what was left of a door anyway, it was mostly gone. Um, all of these things that had fallen out, we even came across one of the, um, um, I think it was one of the reciprocating engines, which are 
if I remember correctly, about five stories high. So all of this stuff is in this debris area. And the other really odd thing, I was talking about the wildlife, uh, the, the fish a little bit last time and the um, crabs and things. And uh, where there were cables, I've got pictures of one or two crabs on cables. And the really odd thing were the sponges that have attached themselves to lumps of coal because there's obviously, there was obviously an awful lot of coal on board and a lot of that spilled out onto the ocean floor. And what you see is a thing like, um, um, how can I describe it? It's like a white, a long white feather, a tall white feather, like an ostrich feather attached to this coal with a lump of chewing gum is what it looks like, but it's the obviously the, the sponge anchoring itself. So... All of this stuff is down there, and I, I think the thing that struck me the most, because we were moving relatively quickly through the debris field, we were actually going at about three uh, uh, knots, so three nautical miles an hour, which is, is actually quite fast for that kind of a submarine. And um, I was, I, I bought a rubber hood for my camera so I could place it right against the um, perspex of the, the um, uh, little porthole I had, uh, without doing any damage obviously and I was shooting pictures as fast as I could as we were traveling through and I uh, but and also looking out of the window myself and one thing I missed on the photographs but really just stuck with me was seeing a pair of boots on the ground and um, obviously for a pair of boots to be together at that depth meant that whoever was in them was still in them when they hit the um, hit the the the, uh, the ocean floor so you know, many, many poignant moments to think about the people who were on that ship and who didn't get off and um, what they must have gone through and what it must have been like. And um, certainly speaking as someone who's travelled a lot and, and I've, you know, I've flown most of what I've done. I've done a few ferry trips and that sort of thing in uh, New Zealand and in, in um, the Mediterranean and places like that. But um, the the ocean liners were the, trans the mass transport of the day. And that would have been the kind of transport if I'd been doing anything remotely like what I've been able to do in the last few years, that would have been my method of transport. So it did bring it home quite a lot. So it felt quite personal. So we, we got to the, um, the bow section and um, yeah, we were able to look around there. So in the end, I didn't get to see the propellers. We did get really close to getting caught up on a bit of the bow section because there's an awful lot of jagged metal sticking out there. And at that point um, we decided to go up, but um, while we were driving around there, we saw the um, the second mirror because at one point we stopped to have our lunch. So, um, you know, we had some sandwiches and um, had had our lunch down there and, you know, orange juice and things like that. And the mirror, mirror two came down and that was really strange because um, we were parked just on the, on the ocean floor because uh, the sub has these little skids on the bottom. So you can just park it obviously for somewhere to how it parks on the deck as well and um yeah we're in this complete darkness um, other than our own lights what's been illuminated by our lights and then saw these other lights appearing um you know some distance from us and that was mere two coming down which had um an american couple um in it they were the second dive of the uh the day uh, so that was really strange seeing them and of course, the other question, I suppose, is the bathroom situation. <laughs> so, so that's usually what people ask about. So, yeah, if um, if you needed to pee, there was a sort of bottle thing. Although I never used it, I, I mean, it's quite strange actually, being eleven hours and being relatively cold. But um, yeah, I didn't have to go. There, there was a you could actually do uh, the other option, but that they gave you uh, it's supposed to be a sort of special diet to um, 
minimize the need for that anyway. I, all I can say is that on our dive, nobody needed the bathroom. So we were all in uh, pretty good shape. Being 20 years older now, I'm, I'm, I doubt that would be the case. <laughs> but um, anyway, um, yeah, on that occasion, it was all, all good. So um, yeah, so we, we went around the, um, obviously started with the bow section, went through the debris field, went up to the stern section and um, drove around that. And then we, we headed back up and um, again, not much to do. Um, Anatoly was playing his Russian country music. And uh, so <laughs> if you hated country music, you're in real trouble because there's nowhere to go in that submarine. Uh, but if, if not, it was all good. But yeah, it was nice. You know, we, we chatted as well. We spoke about different things. What I hadn't realized was that, um, and this, this I found out on the way down, we were talking and Nortil hadn't, dive that year and in fact they the company doing the salvage so I mentioned that Nortil was involved in the salvage of um, items from the wreck and there was a salvage contract and I don't know the details of it other than it was due to expire basically to keep it current they had to go and retrieve at least something one item from the uh, the debris field in order to maintain the um, the salvage contract and basically the Nortil hadn't been down that year so um, we were talking about that on the way down. And then as we were yakking, we, we sort of realized that it dawned on me that we were the first dive of the year. And then when we got down there, as I, as I related in the previous podcast, I, I was the first person to actually see the ship. It happened to come up on my side. So um, that does actually give me my claim to fame. So that makes me, because it was 2001, made me the first person to see the Titanic in 2001, which is that year, decade, century, millennium. So, um, yeah, I must get that as a tattoo or something. But anyway, that was uh, that was um, an odd thing that came out of that. Now, the other thing that we would do is um, on board the ship, we had these styrofoam cups. And so they're just regular styrofoam coffee cups that you, you'd be familiar with. Um, yeah, we would, so we had those. And what we would do, we would write on them. We'd get out in the morning before a dive or even the night before. And we'd write things like, you know, hello, mum, from, you know, the coordinates and sketch a quick bit of Titanic on and all of that. And then what they would do, they would collect them all up in this big, um, like a bag. It was like a net bag. And the guys, the crew would attach these cups to the... Uh, the submarines <laughs> so that when they went down they're sort of stuck on the submarine on the side of the submarine but basically to go down all the um because the styrofoam is obviously mostly air all of that they get completely crushed so what comes back are these tiny little cups that are a little bit distorted but they still got the little messages on so I, I had quite a few of them at one point but as i was traveling around i gave them to people and now i don't have any at all so um, i'm hoping one of my friends or um, whatever has one still but yeah that was kind of the fun thing to do and also on that trip, we had a lot of lectures um, from guys who knew the story of the Titanic very well. We also had Don Walsh with us. Now, Don, if you've never heard of him, Don did the deepest ever dive back in 1960 in the Bathyscaphe, which is um, it, it's almost like a hot air balloon, but it's designed for undersea. So it's got like this big um, uh, petrol tank. Uh, it looks a little bit like an airship. And then underneath it hangs this circular, this um, spherical um, pressure sphere. So the top part is actually made of, um, it's full of petrol, which is the buoyancy. And then there's um, this uh, sphere on the bottom, 
which is the the um, where the people go, and then there's a um, you know a kind of tube from the the top of the sphere up to the top of the the bathyscaphe, and they climb down the little ladder into the sphere. So Don was one of two people. Jacques Picard was the other one, a Swiss guy, and his his company had designed and I think built the bathyscaphe. It was um, I think funded by the U.S. Navy. I'm not quite sure how that worked, but it was definitely launched off a U.S. Navy ship in 1960. And so Don, as a very young lieutenant at the time did this amazing dive in a place called Challenger Deep in the Pacific, which is seven and a half miles deep, and it's the deepest place on the planet. So you may have heard of it because James Cameron went there um, a few years ago now. He had a ship that was, um, I think, built in Sydney, actually. I know I was working, doing, or trying to do a bit of work anyway, the Sydney company who's involved in the construction of the submarine. But that is the deepest spot on, on the Earth, this seven and a half mile deep area. So it was an absolute amazing experience to have Don there because I remembered as a kid growing up in the 60s and 70s, seeing these magazines, and somebody had done an artist's impression, and I remember it really clearly of the bathyscaphe on the ocean floor with these amazing kind of, um, this amazing vegetation down there, peculiar looking fish, and, you know, this artist had obviously let his mind uh, really um, go crazy about what might have been down there. So Don was on the on board with us, and he dived the following day. He dived with Mike McDonnell, who was the, the guy who um, uh, organised the whole trip for us and he was living in Sydney and I was lucky enough to catch up with him a few years later but yeah they they went down and Don is an amazing guy um to me and again an absolute pleasure to to meet him has some wonderful stories um almost got to fly in the space shuttle which is a real shame given that he'd been as deep as you can get on the planet to at least get into low earth orbit would have been something else um I have a feeling that Buzz Aldrin has been down to the Titanic and obviously been to the moon so in terms of absolute range of high and lows, that would give him the record for sure. Um, but um, there you go. So, look, um, that's a, a really um, a taster. I, I've done a couple of podcasts. Obviously, I could talk a lot more about details of it. But um, the whole thing was an amazing experience to see a ship like that. And I will say that on that night, um, I got up around midnight, and I believe the um, – I believe the Titanic hit the iceberg around midnight and sank at around 2, 2.30. And I need to check that. I may have got that wrong. But as I say, it was a case of visiting a grave. I mean, it is still – a lot of people died there, and it must have been absolutely dreadful. I've never been in that situation, obviously, of having to face certain death. I've certainly had my share of brushes where I thought I might not get out of the situation. But this is one where you were not going to get out of it for sure. And so – uh, that evening that I did my dive, I walked out onto the fan tail of the boat, the back of the boat, the back of the ship, and, um, you know, just stood there for a while, looking at the stars, looking at the ocean, and thinking about what had happened all those years previously in that spot, and just tried to imagine, at least in some way, what those people were thinking, the, the people that didn't survive, what was going through their minds, their whole experience of it, the people who did survive, and what they saw, what they had to live with for the rest of their lives. So um, definitely an experience that um, uh, I'm, I'm extremely pleased and fortunate to have had the opportunity to do and um, very grateful that um, I did it. So I'm going to leave things there. I hope you've um, found this uh, interesting. And um, if you'd like to know more about me and my photography, I do have... Um, um, a website which is um, www.creativephotographyacademy.com uh, I'm primarily using that right now I'm going to be changing things in a while but um, 
that's my training stuff, but there's also, you'll find some other uh, background material. And I think there's a picture of the Titanic, one of my, the bow section that I took on there as well. So whatever you're doing, I hope you have a great day and thank you for listening. Just before I go, I want to let you know that there's a couple of ways you can support me if you feel so inclined. Uh, with the podcast, Buzzsprout, which is the um, the platform I use for all of my podcasts, they have a subscription model. So if you feel that you would like to subscribe, a few dollars, a few euros, whatever, um, to the podcast, that would be much appreciated. The other option is my Patreon membership. So if you'd like to become a patron, and that starts at the price of a cup of coffee every month, you'll get access to exclusive material, behind-the-scenes material, photography tips, all this kind of stuff, depending on which tier you're at. So there is some information available through my website and um, also on the, uh, uh, the written text to go with this podcast. So if you choose either one, thank you so much in advance. And whether or not you do, I hope you uh, continue to enjoy the podcast and let other people know about them. Thank you very much. Bye for now.